It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Tuesday, October 25th. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Governor Kathy Hochul recounts her crime-fighting achievements, but says it's not about playing defense on the issue in the governor's race. I'm not letting the political theater out there affect what we've done. This is not a new issue for me, and I think that's well-established. New York City is preparing for its first casinos. Both candidates for governor have already achieved campaign cash from casino developers. Also, as we approach the election, our series on people engaged in democracy continues. America Amplified brings us the voices of folks working to unite their communities. Continuing to organize and engage people, not just to be angry, not just to be fearful, not just to want to shut the TV off or turn the internet off or or yell and scream on the internet, um, but to be engaged locally with other people in real life, not online, in real life. We'll meet a Connecticut woman working to improve mental health care for her immigrant community. And just in time for Halloween, a community reading of The Raven. All that's coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Adirondack Foundation and the Adirondack Birth to Three Alliance, dedicated to providing all children the best possible start in life, adirondackbt3.org. And by Long Run Wealth, an SEC-registered investment advisor in Lake Placid, providing comprehensive wealth management, retirement, and financial planning solutions, longrunwealth.com. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. The two candidates running for Congress in the North Country were in Saranac Lake this week. Republican Congresswoman Elise Stefanik held a rally on Sunday, while her Democratic challenger held a town hall in the village on Monday. Emily Russell was at both campaign events and has our story. Stefanik's rally was at Riverside Park, where about 100 people gathered with signs that said, Elise backs the blue and we back Elise. Stefanik is running for her fifth term in Congress and spoke with a sense of urgency on Sunday. I will tell you, this election, the stakes could not be higher. And no matter where I go in this district, people are struggling. They're struggling as a result of single-party far-left Democrat rule in Washington and in Albany. Stefanik talked about what she sees as some of the key issues facing this nation, inflation, immigration, and crime. The following day, her Democratic challenger, Matt Costelli, held a town hall at the VFW in Saranac Lake. He spoke to about 30 people. They talked about things like health care access for veterans and ideas to reduce gun violence. Costelli told the group he's confident going into the election. When we win this race, it will be a byproduct of building a coalition of Democrats, independents, and Republicans, people that care more about their country than their party affiliation and want to seek true public servants elevated to actually solve the problems facing our country and our community. Stefanik has won the last four elections for Congress by a double-digit margin. The district is considered solidly Republican. The election is just two weeks away. Emily Russell, North Country Public Radio, Saranac Lake.
Later this week, Emily Russell will take a more in-depth look at the race for the 21st Congressional District. Early voting begins this Saturday. One race in the uh, one issue in the race for governor is casinos. The state will soon seek bids for casinos in New York City, but as WNYC's John Campbell reports, politicians and high-powered lobbyists have already hit the jackpot, including New York's two candidates for governor. Governor Kathy Hochul has raised more than $45 million in her bid to win a full term. She has thousands of donors, some with business before the state. And that includes a group of competing companies that are getting ready to roll the dice, casino operators. Hochul has taken in hundreds of thousands of dollars from Hard Rock, the Gentane Group, Caesars, Bally's, and Las Vegas Sands. They're all planning bids for the state's final three casino licenses, which will be up for grabs next year. The licenses will allow for full-scale casinos with slots and table games in the biggest market in the country. At the same time, gambling interests are spending more on lobbying in New York, doling out $9 million through August of this year. It's up to the State Gaming Commission and its citing board to make a final decision on who gets a casino license. But the Democratic governor says the campaign cash won't have any influence. Certainly there's been no connection, ever have been, ever will be, between a contribution and a policy or a decision made. Lee Zeldin is Hochul's Republican opponent. One of his biggest financial supporters is Steve Wynn. He founded Wynn Resorts, a major casino operator bidding for a license at Hudson Yards. But Wynn hasn't had a formal role with the company since 2018 when he resigned amid sexual misconduct allegations. Zeldin says casinos won't be an economic fix. I will tell you that building casinos is not going is not the magic formula that's going to overnight make New York prosperous again. Election day is set for November 8th. Early voting begins October 29th. John Campbell, North Country Public Radio. Governor Hochul held a news conference yesterday to tout her efforts to fight crime in New York. Hochul offered statistics that she says show the steps that she's taken are working. The event yesterday comes as the governor appears to be losing ground on the issue to Zeldin. Karen DeWitt has more. Hochul, joined by State Attorney General Tish James and the acting state police superintendent, discussed several recent laws implemented under her watch to combat violent crime. She says changes made to the state's red flag laws following the May mass shooting in Buffalo that killed 10 have resulted in nearly 2,000 extreme risk orders of protection being issued. In each one of these cases, that's perhaps a crime or an act of violence that didn't occur something that was prevented. And that's the very reason I took those steps. It's undeniable progress in just four months, and it means our red flag laws are working. Hochul says state and local police have seized 8,000 illegal guns in the past year. Attorney General James says her office has recovered 3,500 illegal weapons. Hochul recounted other achievements, including calling a special session of the state legislature. That's after the U.S. Supreme Court in June struck down New York's century-old concealed carry laws. They created new requirements to obtain a gun permit. Some parts of that law have been put on hold due to ongoing court challenges. As a result of the changes, the governor says the rate of gun-related and other violent crimes in the state has decreased by 14 percent from the rate during the height of the pandemic, compared to a nationwide decrease of just 2 percent. 
Hochul's presentation comes as several recent polls show the race for governor tightening, with GOP Congressman Lee Zeldin, who has focused on fighting crime as a top priority, gaining ground. Polls also indicate that many New Yorkers are more concerned about crime than other issues that Hochul has highlighted in her campaign, including abortion rights and threats to democracy. But Hochul says she's not reacting to the dynamics of the race. I'm not letting the political theater out there affect what we've done. This is not a new issue for me, and I think that's well established. A.G. James also commented on remarks she made to a Buffalo TV station last week, where she indicated that the state's bail reform laws, which ended many forms of cash bail, should be revisited. Zeldin has criticized the bail law changes, saying they have led to more crime. James says she has long held the position that the bail reform laws need to be periodically reexamined in the context of other criminal justice issues. But she says it's a miss step to be fixated on bail reform. What I said was we need to look at a panoply of issues, including but not limited uh, to bail reform. But before we even get there, can we look at the other issues, which are drivers of crime as well? Hochul says there is no daylight between her position on the state's criminal justice laws and James' views. Hochul has resisted calls by Republicans and some Democratic district attorneys to call a special session of the legislature to fix perceived flaws in the laws. She says she wants wants to wait until the legislature is back in session in January. She says then there will be six months of data on changes made to the bail laws last spring. They added more crimes to be bail eligible and gave judges more discretion to set bail. Republicans were unimpressed with the event. The highest-ranking GOP lawmaker, Senate Minority Leader Robert Ort, called the governor and attorney general's event an Election Day Hail Mary. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. A man from Tupper Lake was arrested last week for more than 51 gun-related charges. Police allege that Mark Counter illegally had 36 guns, several high-capacity magazines, and a silencer. It's unclear what was illegal about Counter's possession of the firearms. The 40-year-old man was arrested last Tuesday and arraigned in Tupper Lake Village Court. He was released in order to appear in court at a later date. Forest rangers and state police are searching for a different Tupper Lake man who's been missing for more than three weeks. 32-year-old Jordan Bewley was last seen on October 1st, but wasn't reported missing until the 14th. His car was found at a trailhead on Corey's Road between Tupper Lake and Saranac Lake. Tupper Lake Village police are also asking hikers and hunters around that area near the Racket Falls trailhead to look for signs of the man. Uh, Bewley has is a white man with brown hair and blue eyes. He's about five foot eleven inches tall and weighs about one hundred and sixty five pounds. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 11 minutes past 8. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Stick around. We'll gather around the fire and share a spooky story that's coming up in a few minutes here on Northern Light.
Music by Patricia Julian and friends out of Burlington. Their music is part of our Underscore Project here at North Country Public Radio. Check out more of it and listen more online, ncpr.org slash underscore. Northern Light is supported by Adirondack Health's Pain Management Clinic in Saranac Lake with Dr. Duane Dixon and Yasmin King, specializing in back, arthritic, and sciatic pain, migraine, other chronic pain conditions. Learn more at adirondackhealth.org. And by Adirondack Land Trust, with 27,000 acres of forests, farmlands, waters, and wild places conserved since 1984. Adirondacklandtrust.org. And we simply couldn't do this without you. Our fundraiser has ended, and you've helped us raise $15,000 over our $350,000 goal. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your support. The election is two weeks from today. The noise and bluster and static can be overwhelming. So we're airing stories to actually get you excited about democracy, how people in cities, towns, regions across the country are contributing to their communities and uniting them. The series from the public radio collaboration America Amplified is called Democracy from the Ground Up. Today we're gonna we're going to Connecticut and WSHU's Abong Odame, who has a story about a woman working to improve mental health care for her immigrant community. She is vibrant, energetic. She's very well spoken, uh, very well liked in the community. I think it's fair to say she is very inspiring uh, in terms of all the activities that she does. And it does not matter if one person turns up or no people turn up. She will be there regardless. My name is Rina Kor Arora. I'm a Sikh woman. And uh, I came to United States in 1989. Rina Arora is active in her own Sikh temple and now leads the healthcare and mental health team at Connect, a collective of liberal religious congregations and civic groups in southern Connecticut. Good evening, everyone. How are you doing? We're doing great. (laughs) At a meeting to gear up for the fall campaign, Aurora presents Connect's mental health agenda. It includes the establishment of crisis stabilization centers and peer respite centers. These would function as alternatives to incarceration or the emergency room in a mental health crisis. Peer respites are run by people who have lived experience with mental illnesses and have been trained and certified to help others with mental illnesses. She says this is something to particularly ask the candidates running for governor. We want to know if next governor of Connecticut will lead the state in investigating the best mix of those two models for our state and in prioritizing funding to get them open and operating in our communities as soon as possible. Aurora's advocacy on mental health issues stems from her own experience before immigrating to the U.S. In the early 1980s, the minority Sikh community in India was persecuted. Her own brother, 21 years old at the time, was burned to death in the violence. It took a terrible mental toll on her parents. My father, I still can't forget his shaking fingers because he brought my brother in a bag 
just bunch of bones and he had to pick all those bones and these are the traumas no parent should ever go through it devastated her mother in connecticut they sought mental health care for her but the therapist was not from her culture not from her place as aurora put it she went back and forth sometimes she attended the session sometimes she took her medication and she's like i don't know it's just not working out for me so now aurora is working on two levels reducing the stigma about mental health issues in her own community and increasing access to culturally sensitive care for those who need it matt mcdermott is a connect organizer who works closely with aurora hearing a powerful story like rena's and the, the story of her what her family went through um is an important part of the process. He says this is what local grassroots political organizing is all about, especially at a time when a lot of political action is now online. Continuing to organize and engage people, not just to be angry, not just to be fearful, not just to want to shut the TV off or turn the internet off or or yell and scream on the internet, um but to be engaged locally with other people in real life, not online, in real life. He says Aurora has had a major influence in setting the healthcare and mental health agenda. When we get together people from various backgrounds and and faith traditions and they actually share those experiences and can be honest with each other about what they've been through, what their communities are going through, then we believe we can come up with more uh effective and responsive policies and programs. And Aurora says her Sikh community is warming to having a voice in local politics. I have so many women or even now some men are coming forward and saying yes, let's do it and we need to talk about it. In Fairfield, Connecticut, I'm Ebon Udama and this is America Amplified. America Amplified is a CPB funded initiative to support community engaged journalism in public media. You're listening to Northern Lights here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Mo and I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute we'll have a community reading around the fire. After that we'll get a profile of the blue jay. They're loud, they eat garbage and baby squirrels and they're pretty stealthy. More on the blue jay coming up on Bird Note at 8:42, but first Todd has a look at the weather for us. T-shirt weather continues highs today probably in the low to mid 70s and again tomorrow highs in the 70s, partly cloudy skies today, maybe a scattered shower tomorrow, then it's going to get cooler, going to feel more like fall on Thursday and Friday with highs in the 50s, sunshine on Saturday and maybe some scattered showers again on Sunday. Right now in Canton, uh, we have clouds and 54 degrees. It is a spooky time of year and I wanted to report back about our Northern Light event where we invited anybody with sort of a ghoulish sensibility to join us at Hex and Hop Brewing in Bloomingdale last Friday night for a night of frights and ghost stories. And I want to tell you Todd, we had a blast doing it. We all gathered around the fire pit and enjoyed live music from Vermontville-based musician Joe Waters who played all creepy and murder 
murder-themed songs like Psycho Killer and Maxwell's Silver Hammer. And in true Northern Light fashion, since this was a Northern Light event, we did a live sound quiz. I'd recorded some creepy sounds, and whoever correctly guessed the most won an NCPR t-shirt. We'll hear more about that sound quiz in the coming days on Northern Light. And midway through the event, we actually had a group recitation. And Todd, I'm wondering who you think the spookiest writer is. Mm. Stephen King. Um, Mary what? Shelley. Bram Stoker. And Rice. Oh, those are all really great guesses. Um, I was thinking more Edgar Allan Poe. We all did a group reading of The Raven by Poe. And this was inspired by Doyle Dean, who had all of the NCPR staff do a recitation of The Raven during the pandemic. So on Friday night... We gathered in close around the fire and read it together. And our Adirondack reporter, Emily Russell, who you'll hear in a second, went around the circle and recorded all of us reading it. Peter, would you get us started off? Is everybody ready? We're starting verse by verse. And and while we're reading, try to limit the conversation. Well, don't talk. (laughs) <laughs> don't talk don't talk okay. alright here you go The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe once upon a midnight dreary while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore while I nodded nearly napping suddenly there came a tapping as of someone gently rapping rapping at my chamber door "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. "'Only this and nothing more.'" Ah, distinctly, I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wish the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow from my books, Secrece of Sorrow, Sorrow for the last Lenore. For the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Nameless here forevermore. And the silken sad uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. Some light visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. This it is, and nothing more." Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. "'Sir,' said I, or madam, "'truly your forgiveness I implore.' But the fact is, I was napping, and so gently you came rapping. So faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door. That I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness, there is nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token. And the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. Then I 
This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore, merely this and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again, I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, I said, something that is something at the window lattice. Let me see, then, what thread is and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment and this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mine of lord and lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling, my sad fancy into smiling, by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, though, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore, tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little re- though its answer little meaning, as we talk about with editing, <laughs> <laughs> though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door with such name as Nevermore. But the raven sitting lonely on the placid bust spoke only that one word as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing further then he uttered, not a feather then he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered other friends have flown before. On the morrow, he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, nevermore. <clears throat> Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, doubtless had I, what it utters is only stock and store. Caught from some unhappy master, whom a merciful disaster followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burdens broke of never, never more. Anyone want to read that hasn't read yet? But the raven still beguiling my sad fancy into smiling. Straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then, upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, 
thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er shall, she shall press, ah, nevermore. Then, methought, the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee, respite, respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, O quaff this kind nepenthe and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether temptest toss, the here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by her horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there... Is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil. By that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore. Tell this soul with sour... <laughs> let me do that again. Tell this soul with sorrow, laden if, within the distant Aden. It shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels named Lenore. Clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. <laughs> 